The Biz News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. And we have a memorable program coming up for you. The next hour is going to be dominated by two incredibly courageous ladies who were put through the ringer. In 2016, uh, the pressure on people who were standing up against the Azuma regime, and particularly the Guptas, was extreme. I know that. Uh, we actually went out of South Africa to go and relocate to the UK for a few years as a direct consequence, or part consequence anyway, of what the Guptas were trying to do to Biz News back then. But what uh, were the pressure that was on us was not a fraction of those two ladies that we're talking to tonight. We're going to be speaking just after Justin's brought us, updated us on the markets to Mosilo Motepo, and a little later in the program, Bianca Goodson. They were two of the three chief executives of Trillion, which was, uh, if you like, the sharp edge of the wedge of the Zupta empire. We'll get all of that coming up tonight. Also, a little later in the program, this being Festive Friday. Exactly, Alec. That's why I'm sporting my orange linen today. I know we're covering some serious stories, but let's not forget it is Festive Friday, and it's great to be here. (laughs) That's Justin, as always, and it is supposed to be a festive day for us. And I know Carrie's already done three quarters of a bottle of wine, which I was showing our colleague Jared Neves, who's in the Cape Town studio today at FMR, our partners in the Cape. Jared, good to have you live on the show today for the first time. Happy to be here. And you're going to talk to us about the duster. Yes, yes, Reno's Duster Tech Road. Duster Tech? Tech Road. Tech Road. Is that yes, a different it's, model? It's just a, tr- it's a trim level, essentially. A trim level, okay. Can yes. it go to the Limpopo farm that Jeanette wants to uh, visit uh, and doesn't want Finally, to take? Yes. It I can. Found a oh, you can. got it. <laughs> oh, you're the man. Okay, we'll talk about that later. And uh, in Carrie's corner with Carrie Adams, she will have Andrew Gunn. Uh, the founder of Iono Wines. All of that coming up this evening. But first, let's kick off with our flash briefing from our editor-at-large, Jackie Cameron. The two biggest unions representing workers at ESCOM are seeking 15% wage increases. The National Union of Metal Workers of South Africa and the National Union of Mine Workers have tabled their demands, with pay talks set to resume on May the 4th, says an ESCOM spokesperson. South Africa's consumer inflation rate is at a much lower 3%. ESCOM has been struggling to meet electricity demand because of breakdowns at old and poorly maintained plants and is not generating enough cash to fund its operations or service its debt of about 465 billion rand. South Africa's biggest business group will help develop private industry's capacity to administer 160,000 coronavirus vaccines a day. Vaccines will be administered at pharmacies, employer premises and large-scale sites developed by medical insurance providers and others, says Martin Kingston, chairman of Business for South Africa's steering committee. He says no citizen will be denied. The announcement comes as South Africa begins asking people over the age of 60 to register for the vaccine. The country has been slow to roll out its vaccination program and has now had to pause the distribution of doses because of uncertainty about J&J inoculations. South Africa had vaccinated about 300,000 healthcare workers as of the weekend. A new set of tax law amendments make it possible for the South African Revenue Service to impose criminal sanctions on taxpayers who neglect their tax affairs, reports My Broadband. The amendments, signed by President Cyril Ramaphosa and promulgated earlier this year, make unintentional tax errors punishable by a fine or imprisonment. Tax consultants say this is a step away from the previous legislation, where taxpayers could only be fined or sent to jail if their transgressions were committed willfully and without just cause. The global economy is showing signs of recovery after a year of business shutdowns. U.S. stocks jumped to record highs this week, with retail sales and weekly jobless claims signaling an accelerating recovery in the world's biggest economy. Thursday's economic data showed that some parts of the U.S. economy, like retail sales, have returned to or exceeded pre-pandemic levels. Applications for unemployment benefits, while still high, hit their lowest point in 13 months. 
Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co., says he's optimistic the pandemic will end with a U.S. economic rebound that could last at least two years. He is quoted as saying in his annual letter to shareholders, I have little doubt that with excess savings, new stimulus savings, huge deficit spending, more quantitative easing, a new potential infrastructure bill, a successful vaccine and euphoria around the end of the pandemic, the U.S. economy will likely boom. He says this boom could easily run into 2023. China's economy also strengthened in the first quarter of the year as consumer spending rose more than expected, putting it on course to join the U.S. as twin engines for a global recovery in 2021. And that was your BizNews Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for BizNews. For more on those and the other big stories of the week, do go to biznewsradio.com. BrightRock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity. And the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Here's our colleague, Justin Rowe Roberts. Another day in the green with the JSE All Share Index up at 67,800. Resources won a tear today with Implats up 11 rand, 286 rand a share. Harmony Gold up four and a quarter percent to sixty-six rand. British American Tobacco increased twenty rand to five hundred and seventy rand a share, and Woolies was up three percent to fifty-three rand. In the currency markets, the rand was flat against all the major currencies, to fourteen rand thirty-two cents to the greenback, nineteen rand eighty to the sterling, and seventeen rand sixteen cents to the euro. Gold is up at one thousand seven hundred and eighty dollars an ounce. Brent crude is trading at sixty-six dollars fifty cents a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 880,000 rand a Bitcoin. This market report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Well, as promised, and you've been uh, talking with the ladies today, Justin, uh, Mosilo Motepu joins us now. She's the ex-CEO of Trillion Financial Advisory and uh, State Capture Whistleblower. Uh, did you m- know much about it? Where were you in 2016 when all of this was going down? I was partying a little bit too much at university, but let me tell you today, Alec, I did a lot of due diligence on the stories, and the stories that I did read about both Masilo and Bianca gave me goosebumps. So I'm looking forward to getting into it with both of them today. Masilo, lovely having you on the program. I think it's the very first time I've ever heard or ever seen the Financial Mail dedicate its cover to somebody who is not on the staff who wrote it and in fact an an insert from a book and the book that you've written tell us about the timing of the book Uh, why now why not earlier or indeed why not a little later good evening Alec and good evening to your listeners thank you so much for the opportunity yes I it's completely unprecedented that the financial mail would put a a on their cover, a picture of a whistleblower, if I can say that, and promoting her book. So I'm really, really grateful to Rob Rose's team for believing in my story and just putting it out there. So with regards to the timing, um, I decided to break my silence in September 2016 when... I had spent three months at Trillion as a CEO and having witnessed industrial scale looting (laughs) where public money was being uh, siphoned from Transnet, from ESCOM, from Danel, from SA Express without contracts, without uh, due process taking. Me having the pre-knowledge of the Minister of Finance in Zanzanene being fired and um, in 2015 in October, and knowing very well that after that the markets plummeted and they, the president had to replace uh, Desmond Royne over the weekend and to replace him with Praveen to stable the markets. So when I left Trillion, I was 
I was sort of petrified and horrified at what I had witnessed. So I knew that I had to do the right thing and tell the public protector what to do. Mosilla, before you go through that, because, Mosilla, I mean, a lot of this is covered in the stories already, but but the big question for me, the big question for me was that we were reporting on this story, and I've just looked up now, on the 29th of March, we had a piece on Biz News about Mark Pamensky and the Guptas, uh, how they were infiltrating the board at Eskom. This is March. You took the job on the 1st of March. And I guess the, the question is, didn't, weren't you believing what we were writing in the media? Remember, I was from regiments capital. And then I, w- I transferred from regiments to Trillion as a section 197 in terms of the Labor Act. And I was promoted to CEO. So it was that cover of the financial mail. I mean, sorry, the Mail and Guardian and Amabungani with that web of the, the Gupta brothers. And I remember going to the office and Mark Perminsky was there. And I said, Mark, you are in this uh, piece. And then I went home to my partner and I said, I think I am in some, something that is perverse. And I, I believe that Trillion is part of the machinery because I could fill in the gaps where that web wasn't uh, no, I, I get I had, that. Had missed some people, so I, I get I, that, Masila. I get that. Yes. But mm-hmm. by the time you took the job, Fakey Mentor had already come out and said her story. Msebisi Jonas had already come out and said that the Guptas were doing this. We had at Biz News had published reams of information on Mark Pamensky and the Guptas and and how they were infiltrating. I, I, I'm just curious. Did, how did they react? How did a guy like Eric Wood, when he appears on the front of Biz News time a week after week, how did he? What did he say to you? Did he say these guys are lying? Uh, I know they were they were trying to sue us at the time, but how did how did they actually get across to you that they weren't such bad people? I know it, you know it was only in September that you that the penny dropped for you, but uh, how did the, how did it change your mind? It dropped when. Um when I saw that cover, that, that article that you're talking about, and remember, um, I was a very naive person. So, I mean, I think I read the financial mail and the business day. So I wasn't even aware of what was happening. And the association was with Salim Issa at Regiments, and uh, this, the shareholder at Trillion was Salim Issa. So I could not really pin him to the Guptas at that particular point in time. So I left uh, Trillion and resigned in June and went to the public protector in September. Okay. But what did they say to you about the media coverage at the time in September when you took over that that job of CEO? Um, It was more saying the the media is racist, number one. The, The... because it's getting large contracts and and they've they've shaken the market so essentially that was that was the, light, the 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 message that was coming across but i'll also like to go back to your question with regards to why now um, i have i've i wasn't ready to write the book uh, the previous 4 years um, I think I was in hell, um, unemployment, skirting with bankruptcy, criminal charges, going from commission to commission, had meeting the FBI, my mental illness caused by all, all that happened in my life. But in January 2020, I asked God, you know, why have I gone through this? What is the purpose of the journey that I had to endure? And the penny drops that... For me, he wanted me to tell a story of bravery, but oh, a, a, of triumph, of hardship, and of faith. So I'm now ready to tell a story that can embolden and empower people. Before then, I was, I was going through so much um, devastation, and I was in my own personal hell. And right now, I, I'm out of that tunnel. The light is shining brighter, and I can... I can truly say that my my story has an happy ending. South Africa is a better place because of the story that I I, I have uh, shared with 
Martila, I wish we could take your book and give it to every South African to read, to, to actually understand what was going on at the time and the, the, the people on the, on the shop end, the people like you and the, the stuff that you went through. Something that horrified me just from the Financial Mail story. I haven't had a chance to read your book yet. I'm not sure if it's, it's actually available yet. Yes, it, it, is. Is. it is. Exclusive books, yes. Okay. So and, and bargain books as well. Wonderful. Exclusive and bargain. I know where I'm going this weekend. Um, but one of the, the stories there was the way that the corporates just refused to touch you. It was almost like you had been contaminated. They would not uh, uh, give you a job. And you've got fantastic qualifications. Was this because they wouldn't listen to your story? They wouldn't believe your story? Or they were just scared that the, uh, that, that the, the Guptas might get to them? You know, Alec... Um, that was the biggest surprise and uh, the greatest disappointment was my 24 months of, of unemployment. I have an honours in, in corporate finance and investment. I have over 16 years of infrastructure finance experience. And when I left Trillin, I, was, I, I naively thought I was going to get a job within three months. So I went from door to door, the banks, the corporates, they questioned my integrity, they felt that if they hire me, the, some of the government contracts will be cancelled. So, and I felt so, so disappointed because they, they say we value integrity. It's part of our corporate ethos. But I felt like I was treated like a leper. You know, back in the day, ancient civilizations, they used to build fortified cities. And outside these fortified, I mean, fortified walls, there would be undesirables and lepers. So I feel that corporate essay, even today as I speak to you, treated me like a leper and built this fortified wall against me and them. And um, it was only in 2018 when um, the financial mail Deputy Editor Sigonati Manjanja wrote a piece about the price of integrity in South Africa. And I was, I was about to sell my house and I think declare bankruptcy that Rob, Rob Schurter, the CEO of, of MTN, gave me a call and offered me a job on the spot. So, um, but since then, I'm, I took a year off last year to, to heal because the, the emotional, psychological um, Devastation was just so, so, so hard on me. So I took a year off, wrote the book, and just healed. Um, seeing my trauma counselor, doing yoga, praying, just reconnecting with myself and rebuilding emotionally. And today, Masilo, are you still at? Are you still at MTN? No, unfortunately, uh, my contract was only two years. So, but um, I am now working as the special advisor to Minister Senzon Punu. He's the Minister of Public Service and Administration. So I would thank him for believing in my skill. I, st I started working for him in February this year. Mosilo uh, Motepu is um, a whistleblower. A book has, is a must read. If you've never bought the financial mail before, go and pick up a copy. Uh, there is an excerpt from her book that is so powerful that they've actually run it as the cover story this week um, uh, on the Financial Mail. So I, I think that the, the, the time, 2016, you, we all forget, but it was only in December 2017. So that's a year and three months later that at the ANC elective conference, a change, a watershed change happened in South Africa when the Zuma, uh, well, uh, people call it all kinds of things. It's just called it the Zuma administration, uh, was taken away and a whole new administration came through, uh, through, uh, Soro Maposa. Somebody else who was at the sharp end and we have spoken before is Bianca Goodson, the ex CEO of Trillion Management Consulting. Bianca, you haven't written a book yet, have you? Hi, Alec. No, I haven't, but I've written a blog as part of my therapy. So um, I found it very cathartic to, to write, I guess, very similar to Masila. So I've got a blog out. 
Um, and it's actually an interesting read because you can even see my earlier posts are filled with like somebody who is in a state of trauma versus my posts that I put now are like slightly more humorous, you know. But yeah, I've, I've got a blog. I, I spoke to Magda Wizikcha earlier this week and it was oh. on other stuff, but she reminded us about what happened to you and how when she stood up and spoke uh, as a corporate leader and she spoke out, how she was surprised, she said, that no other corporate uh, put their heads above the parapet. Uh, It's it's extraordinary, actually, if you think about it. Here you are, here Masilo is, here Magda is. There's three women who, who maybe did more to bring down or to bring the attention of this of the country to what was really going on uh, than yeah. than anybody else why woman why would woman do that i don't know have you um have you read mandy weiner's book the whistleblowers not yet there's another one okay, i've got so to get from you, exclusives yeah <laughs> yeah probably right so mandy when mandy concludes her book she, um, in her conclusion, she tries to figure out if there's a whistleblower recipe. You know, so what makes whistleblowers whistleblowers? And she came across quite some interesting um, common threads between whistleblowers, right? And, and I mean, she interviewed like about nine people. So, I mean, the sample size is not huge, it's small. But one of the things that she found is that all whistleblowers seem to have a very strong mother figure in their lives, so it's not necessarily just a woman, because in Mandy's book, um, there's quite a few males as well that, that are blowing the whistle. And you also see like Ethel Williams, for example, being very active. But, um, you know, she came up with these common threads that, that all these whistleblowers seem to have in common. Um, and one of the things that all whistleblowers that she interviewed actually had in common is actually something that just surprised me. But is that everyone's actually been experienced or had experienced some form of trauma earlier on in their lives. And I think that that sort of makes people maybe feel a little bit more fearless in, in making these big decisions. Um, and, you know, with Magda, I mean, Magda experienced, I guess, to an extent trauma of being forced to leave Poland to have to come here. It was difficult for her. Um, I experienced some pre-verbal trauma when I was a kid. Um, I was in an accident. You know, so it's, it could be things like that, I think. But, but I'm guessing I'm not a psychologist. I have no idea. And your whole story, Bianca, uh, how how similar is it or how different is it to Mosilo's? It's very similar. There was a time in Mosilo and I spent lots of time together. We called ourselves sisters at one point. Um, um, our lives are very different now, but there was a time, obviously, where the state capture stuff and this, this thing with Trillion was the glue that held the two of us together also because Mosilo and I were the only two people that could understand you know, um, the only places where things are different in my story, um, I didn't, Eric, for example, didn't come after me. That's Eric so Wood. So never mm-hmm. laid, Eric Wood, yeah, sorry. Um, Trillian never laid, like, criminal charges against me, and they didn't um, come up with civil claims and stuff. So luckily for me, I wasn't in courts or spending so much time with lawyers the way Masila was. On a personal front, my situation was different in that I was married at the time. The trauma impacted me. I ended up getting divorced. Um, on the career front, however, Masilo and I's experience are, are, are almost exactly the same. That you would not be touched by corporates? Yeah. I mean, I've got an amazing network of people, right? So, I mean, Masilo and I both get invited to these dinners. And, you know, very similar to how you started this off saying, you know, like these strong women and stuff like that. There's a lot of, like, really big wigs, chairs of boards of huge financial institutions and stuff that give us a lot of, of that commendation. Um, but you forward your CV through and then you just don't hear anything. So, so let me give you an example, right? And I'm not throwing a stone at anybody. You know, I wrote that infamous letter in October last year to Amber Dorota. Yes. Okay. Um, so he replied, right, which was awesome. So he replies to this email and then to that reply, I say, okay, well, look, here's my CV. I come from the mining industry, so I understand capital, large capital investments of large engineering infrastructure, um, I think I would be a good match in Eskom because I understand the environment so well. And a week later, I get a reply from the group executive of HR from Eskom saying, it's with regret that they don't have any positions um, that match my skills. You know, so I, I don't think that's a cop-out. I think it's, it's maybe true, um, but, but that's the kind of response that you get, you know. 
So yeah, it's it's unfortunate. It's bizarre. And I mean, we all know that later that in Andre Dereiter's response to me, how he says, you know, brave, strong, blah blah. Um, but the opportunities just seem to be just a, maybe it's just a bare time to be looking for a job now. I don't you know. I don't know. Well, extraordinary people should be snapped up in any time, in any environment. But but I want to just explore a little bit with you as well what it was like inside, because from the outside, we could see very clearly that the Guptas had grabbed Trillion and they'd grabbed Eskom and they were plundering. I had a, 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 a about a three-hour meeting with Atul Gupta once oh. uh, where I was really hoping – uh, to sell, I had my old company, MoneyWeb, when I left there, it was very yes. thinly traded, and I was hoping I could sell the shares to him because he was buying everything. He was, yeah. uh, he was too clever. He didn't buy those shares. But uh, he, was, he was telling me his side of the story in a way that, that, that really rings true with what Masilo said, uh, that it was racist, it, they were changing things, they were these disruptors, and it was just the establishment that was uh, affecting them. And by the way, why don't you come and be our new anchor on our ANN7, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Thankfully, I had more brains than that at that moment anyway and didn't. But that story that they told seems a very consistent one, a Bell, very Bell Pottinger one. Is that what yeah. kept people at Trillion? I don't know what kept people at Trillion, you know, and, you know, personally, it's so, I mean, I, I got to know quite a lot of people at Trillion, obviously, although I was there for only three months. So I was there from January to March of 2016, and then I resigned on the 18th of March. Um, but during that tenure, I brought on my COO, for example, and there were one or two other consultants that I think we had also onboarded that didn't come from regiments. And I got to know these people quite well. Um, and some of them st- stayed for like a year after and I, I, up to today, I don't understand why they, why they did, especially with what was coming out in the media. So what was coming out in the media and in the public domain was enough to make me very concerned. Also coupled with the actions and the, the behavior that I saw within the organization. But to answer your question explicitly, you, know, you asked Masila that question previously about um, like when Biz News um, you know, published the article. Um, I remember as well, in February of 2016, you must remember that there was also that article about Mr. Van Rooyen's special advisors, Mohamed Bobat and Ian Whitley, right? Now, I had met Mohamed Bobat because he interviewed me. He was supposed to have my job. Um, And I remember sitting and speaking to Clive Angel. Now, my relationship was a little bit different from Masilo's because I didn't come from regiments. I came from Anglo-American, and I was headhunted. And I remember sitting with my COO with, with Clive Angel asking Clive, like, what is this? Aren't you guys concerned? I mean, one of my friends at Anglo-American was head of communications, right? I mean, if something like this came up with Anglo-American, there'd be like a flurry of sort of um, damage control and, you know, things that you would just do because you don't want that negative connotation with your brand, right? And Clive was like so chill. Clive would be like, Bianca, these people just know that they don't have the connections that we have. It's just a news cycle. Don't worry, it'll be over in two weeks. And, you know, for somebody who's not exposed to things like this, you think to yourself, maybe there's some truth in it, maybe there isn't truth in it, but it feels a bit uncomfortable, right? You're not going to resign because of just one article that comes out in the paper. Um, but by the time, I, you know, by the time Masilo and I left, I mean, it was three months for her as well, but she started in March, so it's three months from that. She started when I left. Um, you know, it's, there was, in my opinion, there was enough writing on the wall. You know, I'm so grateful I left when I left. I still think that I stayed three months too long. Yeah. You know, and we would have thought, like, how many years later? It's 2021 now. Coincidentally, yeah, it's like it's, it's almost exactly what five, five years. years since I've left. Three months of my life has altered, fundamentally altered the course of my life for five years and counting right now. And it was literally three months. It is bizarre. But, <laughs> it's so bizarre. But you mentioned Ian Whitley. Now, this, yes. and, and this is another layer of the, uh, of the onion. That is Jesse Duarte's son-in-law. So yeah. here we have Jesse Duarte's yeah. son-in-law and Mohammed Bobat going in as the Gupta guys into Treasury yeah. to go and plunder Treasury. And she's very powerful, still powerful in the ANC. Yeah. And you've got to wonder what happens to people who, who 
bucked the system to the degree that you did uh, on, on, on what was happening there because you had like the whole, the whole country or the whole governance structure of the country against you. Was, did that ever yeah. enter, your, enter your thinking? The thing, look, you know, the, 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 the lunatics have taken over the asylum. Um, if I leave the asylum, they'll come and chase me. You know, this is the thing, right? So like, I, this is what I believe. For your average person, your most significant amount of money is, let's call it your pension. Because you take years of saving and saving and saving. That's sort of like the biggest bucket that you're going to have, right? And my pension at the time was nothing close to billions, obviously. <laughs> but I know that I would do whatever I could do to preserve my pension, because it was the only sort of nest egg that I had, right? But this specific contract at Eskom was valued at $10 billion, you know, with the B. And I kept on thinking to myself, I know what, how fierce I would be for the meager little million that I had or two million that I had in my pension, and I know what I would do and the extent that I would go to to protect that. What would people do for billions? And that made me scared because that almost – makes you think of some scenes in these movies that you watch on Emmett at 8 o'clock. You know, that it's that kind of money that people would... Like, this is the thing. I don't think anybody would value my life more than $10 billion. Mm. So these thoughts do run through your head. Well, that's the, and, other, that's you know, the major question there, because life is cheap in South Africa. If, if Certainly yeah. at that time, a couple of thousand rand, you could get any number of hitmen. Did you ever worry yeah. about that? Did you I ever? Did. Were you able to take precautions for your own security? Um, yeah, you know, like, and the thing is, the people, I've, I've got such conflicting stories, and that's the thing about state capture back then, right, to 2016 and the whistleblowers, is that nobody really knew how bad it was. I think everybody had suspicions, and we know now, because of the Zondo Commission and stuff and a lot of things that journalists have done, but at that time, it was like Pandora's box was, was just about starting to open. So nobody really knew. And I, I remember Peter Harris was one of the attorneys that was helping me prepare for my evidence that I gave to the public protector. And I'm sitting there with my husband in his office, and he says to my husband, I did we have to get a safe house. You know, and it's like you never ever think that your home is not safe. You always feel so safe in your home. And we're driving back from the consultation and I was in tears thinking, if I don't feel safe at home, where would I go? I'm not going to pack up and take my daughter out of school to a safe house. I mean, I didn't put my hand up for that, you know, so you had to go through these processes of where you sort of mentally have to prepare yourself that this could happen. You know, and then on the other hand, we, I had someone like David Lewis. I mean, these are really respected individuals, right? David Lewis would say, Bianchi, if you really want to be safe, you've got to make all your stuff public. And I was so scared because what had happened to Masila was, was also front and center, that as soon as I went out in the public domain, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in court because Eric Woods got so much more money than me. You know, and it felt like no matter what, it was one of the most hopeless like, feelings mm. And the most hopeless of years ever. You've, you've, you've touched a raw nerve. And it, you know, to, to, to conclude our conversation on this one, about the only person who has been exposing dirty lawyers is Paul O'Sullivan. Uh, if you mm. might recall what he did with Hogan yeah. Lovells. He didn't stop. And they've yeah. now, Hogan Lovells, which is a huge international law firm, yeah. has virtually closed up shop in South Africa due to what Paul O'Sullivan did. And what yeah. his thesis is, is that these crooks, like a, an Eric Wood, have got so much more money than those who are trying to expose them. The yeah. lawyers, he says, are the ones who really at fault because the lawyers are taking those proceeds of crime, in yeah. O'Sullivan's view, and attacking. Now, Mosillo felt the, the, the sharp end of that. You said, thankfully, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't go for you. But that must have been something that's occupied your mind over the past five years. So before I decided to be to come out publicly, I was also supported by PLAF, the Whittle Whistleblowing Association that supported Musilo. And they did a risk assessment on me making my information public. And you know what the biggest risk was? The biggest risk that they identified for me and the evidence that I had, because I had a copy of my computer, was actually McKenzie. Because McKenzie at the time was still denying that they had any relationship with Trillion. And I had an entire computer of emails and documents that prove that they were lying. 
And what Plough were concerned about was that McKenzie's legal liability cover was so huge that Plough themselves couldn't even help me if McKenzie decided to throw defamation after defamation suits at me. So I've actually always been very careful in my criticisms of McKenzie because I know that, that the evidence that I particularly, before the Gupta leaks came out and before the regiment servers and trillion servers came out, my computer was the one computer that showed you what how McKenzie was working in this. So yes, it did cross my mind. And it, it still does today. I mean, I still have that fear. You know, South Africa doesn't have statute of limitations, right? Um, so I still have that fear that, that if I am on a public forum somewhere and I do say the wrong thing, it could end badly for me. So I try to still be very wary, you know. And I wish I didn't feel that way. I wish I could actually openly speak about what I really feel about it. But I, I can't. I can't take the risk. It's almost like McKinsey, SAP, uh, KPMG haven't really uh, Bain. I met the, the oh. chairman of Bain in, in, uh, in Davos and I said to her, what are you going to do about South Africa? How are yeah, you going to give reparations? Reparation. And she said, we are determined that we will. We will do everything possible. Well, now you hear what they, they even, uh, you know, attack their whistleblowers. These big corporations, yeah. it's almost like they ride it out and it's not right. The issue is that I, I don't think that they take ethics seriously. I think they see it as a tick box exercise and it's something that's part and parcel of governance that you just have to do it, like including a VAT number on the invoice. It's just one of those things you have to do. But if they actually apply their minds to ethics, and especially things like integrity, integrity towards things like supply development, for example, and doing it in the right way, would actually benefit our country in such a big way. And it's a pity that shareholder wealth seems to trump, that there seems to be you can't get shareholder wealth with integrity. There seems to be a conflict in that and I, if that wasn't the case, then maybe we'd have more integrous companies. Bianca Goodson, thank you for being on the Business Power Hour tonight. It's lovely talking with you again. And uh, there are a lot of, of, of alarm bells ringing there uh, from Bianca. It's, it's always great uh, being able to do something out of the ordinary. But Justin, for us here at Business, who actually lived through uh, the, the, the sharp end of, of what was going from a media perspective, I have the greatest admiration for people who were right in the fire. And uh, it, was, it was a great privilege. Well done in, in, uh, in tracking down Bianca and, uh, and Mosilo a little bit earlier. Uh, this is the Biz News Power Hour. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, this is supposed to be festive Friday, and here's Carrie's, further Carrie's corner. Gee, there's parcel stuff, eh? Gee, whiskers, I have that sort of stuff to slit your wrists by, really. Isn't it Friday? Alec, it's our fun, it's our fun hour, it's not a, our power hour. It, it's our fun hour. Well, it is our fun Friday. And there's Jared uh, sitting in the Cape Town studio. He looks so bored. Desperate to talk. Jared, are you bored? <laughs> I am not bored. Oh, Bobby, we can see you bored. Tell us about a nice fancy new GT3 or something tonight. He's going to tell us about a duster. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Which self-respecting person drives a duster, for goodness sake? Sensible people. (laughs) Actually, Renault's are fabulous cars. Jared, have you got, have you got, are you on mute there? Uh, Or can you put your computer on mute? I think we're getting bad feedback. There we go. Okay. Well, we'll talk to Jared in a moment, but your uh, guest, Andrew Gunn, is, uh, is joining us. Andrew, are you, can, we hear, can you hear us loud and clear? Yes, 100% loud and clear oh. on the side. Well, Andrew, I was going to give this romantic sort of introduction. I was going to say in 1997, Andrew Gunn bought a farm in Africa that was on top of the hills in the clouds overlooking the Atlantic it was a fruit farm higher than anybody else's. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, Carrie, and you? Yeah, <laughs> um, lovely, lovely to be chatting. It's so nice to have you on our sort of power hour for biz news. Thank you for coming on. Andrew, you and I go back a hugely long time. You're one of my favorite people. And can I tell them the story of the Viking in my doorway at Norman Goodfellows? Yes, well, that takes us back... Um, 20 years, doesn't it, Carrie? You tell the story, Andrew. Well, Carrie, as you pointed out earlier on, um, you know, I had 
originally from Johannesburg. Uh, I had a business which I sold in the mid-90s. And, um, you know, I was contemplating my next move. And I ended up um, coming down and looking at a farm in Franschhoek. Um, and uh, fortunately, it was in February, and I'd never been as hot as that. And quite frankly, you know, coming from what was the old Transvaal in those days, um, you know, a farm is where you can't see your neighbors. <laughs> and um, anyway, to cut a long story short, I ended up, as you say, buying this farm on top of on the southerly border of the Elgin Valley, totally surrounded by nature conservation. Our nearest neighbor is like seven kilometers away. And uh, But I bought a bit of a pig in the poke, Carrie. And it, it was. It was a bit derelict. I remember the first time I came to that farm, and you have a beautiful old Herbert Baker house there, which actually wasn't beautiful then at all. It was falling to pieces. But you carry on telling us the story. No, you're absolutely right. I, I couldn't see the wood for the trees. You know, if you come to Elgin in, in February, March, I mean, the bounty, the apples, the, uh, the trees are groaning with apples. Mm. And, you know, being a, basically, I was fundamentally a businessman, and I thought, well, surely I can make a, a living from all these apples. But little did I realize the, <laughs> the, uh, the trees were the old varieties, Granny Smiths and Golden Delicious. And, and you know, the trees were old, Carrie. Um, you know, they Listen, weren't producing just go right steady, quality. Tiger. There's nothing wrong with old. No, Carrie, I've realized that now that I've um, – you know what? That's another story. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see my wife, my life in three, three, uh, twenty-four year periods. Okay. I'm now into the end of the the, the third twenty-fourth period. Mm-hmm. So that puts, puts it into perspective. But yeah, Carrie. Um, so yeah, I started. Um, we planted vineyards in in '98, and um, you know, it was with a bit of skepticism from the likes of Eben Archer and other people in the know. But uh, very quickly, we realised that we we've got a very unique property mm. and our first vintage was 2001 and um you know that's another story because i didn't have a, a seller on the farm um i was only able to get enough planting material for two hectares oh you had your and wine I, made at takara at the time didn't gt make that wine exactly yeah, yeah yeah no it was that wonderful coincidence you know i met um giles webb at an auction down in the valley where basically ross gower Oh, um, and that's that, trouble. That's trouble. Charles Webb and Ross Gower. Michael House Boy, I think Rossi was from Bishops. Bad news, those two boys. Yeah, they're lovely people. And, and you know, um, Charles has been very, very generous in his support of, of our endeavor. And um, I went to the auction and I said, um, guys, why don't you join us after Ross successfully bought the farm? Come and have lunch with us. And, and Giles said, where, where are you planning on making the wine? So I said, well, funny enough, I haven't decided. I was chatting to, do you remember Mike Dobrovic from Sure, Moldebosch? sure. He's a poet. He's like Bob Dylan. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so and he's a hippie. No, he is. No, he's a wonderful character. You know, always handing out these notes with great sayings. Yes. That, and he, at the time, he was, um, you know, Mr. Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. And um, and he was quite excited to, to make the wine, but um, he didn't really have capacity. And Giles said, you know, I've, I'm involved with GT at Takara. We've got spare capacity. I'm happy to make the wine for three years. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what happened. Yep. So then, of course, we only, we only had a 1,000 bot- cases, which is 12,000 bottles in the first vintage. Mm-hmm. And I, I was so excited about it, I decided to, 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 to bring uh, the wine up in a, in a bottle. In a coke bottle. No, well, don't, don't, uh, we don't need to advertise Coke on this. <laughs> it was a buddy Coke bottle, and <laughs> It was indeed, Carrie. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, Norman Goodfellows, of course, um, and, and you, the doyen of, of the wine industry in, in, in the Transvaal, you know, oh. if you want to sell, um, if you want to sell wine, you know, you've got to be able to sell wine to Carrie Adams. <laughs> so, I found you have made And if you remember, yes, I do. And uh, you were the first person to taste it. You were the first person to taste our 2001 Sauvignon Blanc, and it was it was in fact a, a tank sample. Yeah, it was indeed. And so from my side, from my and what did I say to you that day, Andrew? No, you said we onto we onto a really good thing. You, <laughs> you said I said I'm going to buy every last drop. It was so delicious, guys. 
So my side of the story was this, this very tall Viking, and you are a Viking actually. I think you're a you're a descendant of some Vikings. He was standing in the doorway at Norman Goodfellows um, in nineteen. Oh God, was it two thousand and one, two thousand and two? I can't remember. And yeah, it was two thousand and one. Yeah, came and introduced yourself with your little buddy Coke bottle in hand. So humble and modest and just so completely and utterly endearing. And I said, let's have this taste. And we did. And it really was. I'm not a Sauvignon Blanc. You know, I always say if she went to the matric dance, she wouldn't be asked to dance. She's not the prettiest grape in the, in the sort of dance hall. But anyway, I tasted it and it was just completely different and delicious to anything that I tasted from South Africa before. So that was the beginnings of our relationship, which has sort of gone on for the next 20-something years to to see Iona go from tiny beginnings to one of the most successful wineries in the country at the moment. Tell us your little journey. Yeah, no, it's been an amazing journey, Kerry. And as you say, you know, I started with Sauvignon Blanc. But quite rightly, you know, Sauvignon Blanc um, is is a very versatile grape. So it, it can be grown in, in quite in a lot of different climates. Yeah. In fact, in a warmer climate, you would tend to pick it earlier, so you'd get more herbaceous, um, more high acidity, because mm. if you've got to pick it early, um, you then would have to add sugar to balance the acid. But in a cool climate, you know, a bit like um, uh, Sancerre or even Marlborough, New Zealand, yeah. you, you get much more complex flavors, and that's what we get. Mm. But, you know, you're quite right. You'd never, you're never going to make a reputation as a great worldwide producer on the back of Sauvignon. No. So... We started planting Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and um, you know that I think is is where we will ultimately, be, you know, become an international player. We already recognition from from our wines internationally. Yes, uh, like Jancis and you know Richard Hemming and yes. Um, well, of course, I, we need to tell everybody about your single vineyard, um, very Burgundian. Um, cousins that you've put together. I think it was 2017 that you put those together and they are absolutely, they just top draw. They are on point. They're fabulous. They epitomize the 20 year journey that you've sort of walked to get to that level of excellence. Talk to us about those single vineyard wines that you're producing. Yeah, that's quite interesting because, as you know, Burgundy is is the home of Sauvignon. I mean, uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, mm. and 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 vineyards are the most critical, are all important in in Burgundy, and particularly, you know, as as you know, the quality level goes from Grand Cru, Premier Cru, Village, and then Bourgon. and we decided to celebrate the individual vineyards. Um, not that we're trying to make a better wine out of the individual vineyards, but you know that we we demonstrate the differences in the sites. Mm. So if we we've got um, two single vineyard Chardonnays, we've got one called Clough, another one Feinbos, mm. quite different soils, and and the wines are quite quite different, you know. And, and it's exciting for people who love Pinot to to understand, you know, the individual components that make up the total blend. And then, of course, with with uh, Pinot, we've got one one called Chrome and also Clure um, Vineyard. Light soils, but but fantastic. We're very excited about those. I was but, so uh, excited when you brought me uh, brought some to taste. They they really are brilliant. We can't not talk about Sophie to Blanche. Tell us the name, where the name Sophie came from. Come in. There's a story to everything at, at Iona. <laughs> no, absolutely, Kerry. I'll tell you, um, you know, once, um, you know, if you're making uh, great wine, you know, you also don't want to make too much wine. You don't want to be in a vintage where you actually have got wine left over from vintage to vintage. So no. we've, we've always been in a position where we only make a limited amount of our owner. Mm. Um, um, and what happened in 2009, we had a particularly good crop and, um, we had a, a 20,000 litres left over from the Iona. And um, my winemaker came to me and said, look, Andrew, uh, you know, I think I'll, I can, I've got a market for this. I can sell it as bulk. <laughs> so I said, no, John, it's, it's far too good for that. So he said, what are you going to do with it? I said, well, I'm going to create a second label. So he said, what are you going to call it? So I said, Sophie Tablanche. So he said, why <laughs> Sophie Tablanche? So he said, no, my wife. 
My workers in Afrikaans friends referred to Sauvignon Blanc as Sophie de Blanc. <laughs> exactly. All the guys in the farmlands. I used to work for Anglos, you know, many millions of years ago. And when we used to sort of do harvests and things there, all the pickers used to talk about Sophie de Blanc. So when I saw that name, I laughed my head off. I thought, only Andrew Gunn. And quickly... <laughs> You just in, I think about 2003, you married the most gorgeous girl called Rosie, who we love and adore. And she has a farm that she was on quite near to you at, at Iona. And to our delight, I see that Rosie has actually produced a wine of her own. Tell me about that quickly. Well, I'm going to hand you over to Rosie. She's sitting oh, right next to Okay, cool. Because I think she, it's her baby and, um, you know, she'd love to, and, you know, Carrie, wonderful chatting to you. And, and um, you, my and if you've got 20,000 litres left over, give it to me. We'll sell it through Biz News. Definitely. Done. You're on. Done. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Oh, lots of love, Carrie. And you. Bye. Hi, Carrie. Rosie Gunn, so, how are you? I'm fine. That was a very generous introduction. Um, when Andrew says he's fundamentally a businessman, I think I'm fundamentally an artist and a complete nutter. I think every family's got one. So, yeah, he's done quite well to keep me. Um, <laughs> good for him. I was excited about Solace. Tell our listeners about Solace, Rose. Um, you know, Planting a vineyard and making solace was, it was really my tiny little way of, um, at the time, you know, circumstances had changed radically for me. I'd lost a husband and it was my way of kind of taking my pain and transforming it into something, mm-hmm. um, some kind of a story, um, some kind of an endeavor. And I think it's what artists have always done. You know, we, yes. we, we frame our trauma as best as we can and we kind of make a little offering of it and, you know, if our offering is really authentic and, and selflessly done, um, you know, it, it turns into a gift. And, you know, if it is, if yes. what better you know, tribute? What better tribute to a wonderful husband? So, um, absolutely. But it kind of got me thinking because I know that you were, um, thinking of listing it, you know, and, 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 um, at, at a hotel in Houghton that was, was going to have some sort of, um, connection to Nelson Mandela and it really kind of got me thinking um, as to what was it that he managed to do because that really I mean I think I think if there's anyone out there that kind of could remind us that basically all our plans are meaningless and that helps not on the way and that our children are going to die in our own lifetime you know Nelson Mandela's life was was an act of such sort of revenge against all the unfairness of this world. And, you know, we we reflect back to us from a place of of unfelt suffering, I mean, remains essential today and fundamental and enduring. Mm. And, and so, you know, in a weird kind of way, you know, um, he's kind of the greatest artist of all in that, you know, he kind of presented us, um, he took his pain and presented us with this kind of truth that really does give comfort and solace and allows us to see, um, so that, that's really the kind of correlation that, you know, that I well, think. Well, that's exactly of what I was looking for. I was looking for exactly that kind of a connotation for everybody who doesn't know. They're converting Mr. Mandela's home in Houghton into a little boutique hotel. And Rosie Solace is definitely going to be on that wine list. So, Rose, to you and Andrew both, thank you so much for joining us on the Biz News Power Hour. You're a fantastic power couple. And we're lucky to have had you. Have a brilliant weekend. Jared, you thought we weren't going to get to you, but you've got to tell us about the duster. Otherwise, uh, everybody who has been waiting to get your insight uh, will be feeling very disappointed. Start off, uh, where did the quest begin for this kind of car? Well, uh, I was lucky enough to to have you know send me a duster for a week and i've always had quite an affinity with a duster in a past life uh, i spent quite a bit of time behind the wheel of a duster tech road so um where to start uh one of the hallmarks i would say one of the best qualities of the duster is its 
impeccable fuel consumption. I mean, it's not a very small SUV. It's not a big one either. Uh, it's got enough power, 80 kilowatts, 250 newton meters of torque. But you will struggle to get over six liters per hundred. It's, it's actually a challenge in this car. I mean, over the week I had it, I drove to Centralina Bay and back, drove around town, and I averaged, I think, 5.6 liters per hundred. So it's so, it's it got a good economy. Can it get onto? Uh, can it rough it? Well, uh, here's the thing. So the the specific model I drove, which is the Tech Road with the EDC gearbox, is only offered in front wheel drive. But because of its ground clearance, it's got about 210 millimeters of ground clearance, and it's got surprisingly for a modern car, it's actually got plumb tires. Uh, not only does that give a good ride quality, but it's surprisingly uh, adept at gravel roads. And we went about driving around, exploring around uh, Centralina Bay and so on. And it, it just floats over gravel, surprisingly well for a front-wheel drive car. There is a four-wheel drive version, and it costs the same, but you have to have it with a manual gearbox. And there is an automatic then in the front-wheel drive? Yes, Okay, I know someone who's going to be very happy to hear that story. What does it cost, Jared, which is by department? So the, t- the, the tech road costs uh, 361,900 rand. Uh, but what you do get is... The nine, where does the 900 rand come from? <laughs> well, for all intents and purposes, 362,000 then. Uh, but you do get a lot for, for your money. I mean, things that you don't see on far more expensive cars. I mean, it's got standard satellite navigation. I mean, some of the premium brands charge you twenty to thirty thousand rand to have that in your car. So it's 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 very well equipped, I must say. And what's in the same category? What would your options be? Well, in this category, you've you've got a lot to choose from. It's basically most manufacturers have something in this in this category. Uh, category now, I mean, you've got the Toyota Urban Cruiser, the Suzuki Vitara Brezza, VW's T-Cross. I mean, it, it really does come down to personal preference. But I would say that the Duster has more of a, a jagged charm to it than than its rivals. So, is it your selection in the category? Uh, it, it, it is actually. It is. It's always been one of my favorite compact SUVs. He just loves Frenchmen. We all love Frenchmen. <laughs> They're classy. They're stylish. Yeah. Miss Carrie, she is incorrigible. She's had three quarters of a bottle of wine, Jared. I haven't. Just... I've had one. Sip. I was so, so mindful. Did you bring? Did you only bring half a bottle then? I brought half a bottle for everybody. Oh, there we go. Well, that's our Carrie Adams. Uh, Jared Neves is uh, with, with our partners at FMR in Cape Town, out of their studio. Lovely to to uh, to have you on the show live, Jared. And well, before we leave, Brightrock believes that every change in life, with every change in life comes opportunity, and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for all of us, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Taking us out of the show tonight, here's our Justin Rowe Roberts. Another day in the green with the JSE All Share Index up at 67,800. Resources won a tear today with Implats up 11 rand to 286 rand a share. Harmony Gold up 4 and a quarter percent to 66 rand. British American Tobacco increased increased 20 rand to 570 rand a share. And Woolies was up 3% to 53 rand. In the currency markets, the rand was flat against all the major currencies to 14 rand 32 cents to the greenback, 19 rand 80 cents to the sterling, and 17 rand 60 cents, 16 cents to the euro. Gold is up at $1,780 an ounce. Brent crude is trading at $66.50 a barrel. The premier cryptocurrency will put you back 880k Bitcoin. And in the US markets, surprise, surprise, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, S&P 500, and NASDAQ are in the green. Which means they're all back in record territory. Wow, what a, what a tear they've had in America. And, uh, and Donald Trump can't claim credit. Apparently he's looking at starting up his own social media platform, so I'm looking forward to that one. (laughs) Never a dull moment. This market report was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. 
Well, a memorable show for you tonight with those inc- uh, couple of incredible ladies. So well done again, Justin, for tracking them down and uh, bringing them into the Power Hour tonight. What have you got for us on Monday? Monday, um, we, we're going to look to get Jean-Pierre Feste on short selling. Um, also, maybe, uh, possibly, um, Jan Pocheta from Italtal. They released a banging trading update today. It just seems that this home improvement trend uh, is, is sustainable going forward. And otherwise, we'll look up what comes up on Sens on Monday morning. And I think David Shapiro will be back from the game reserve, so we'll have him uh, giving us his insights as well. But that's it from the Biz News team. Thanks for being with us through the week. Remember, we are here 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. every weekday night, whether you're listening on FMR, you're watching us on YouTube, or if you are listening through biznewsradio.com. It's always our pleasure to serve you. Have a great weekend from our team here. Cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.